In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve, moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit Tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. Perry Batten, right? Did I say that right? Perry Batten, or is it yep. Perry Batine? Nope, Batten's Batten. correct. All right. <laughs> I know if his head had a little, was a little French twist to it or not. No. Nah. No, straight up all red-blooded American style. That's right. Yeah, because I had uh, I had Matt Matt Hoynes from Soundser Central on, and I always said his name was Matt Hoynes, but I guess it's Matt Hoynes. Gotcha. So he's a little, I always like to ask, I guess, but... Perry Batten. Yeah. Um, welcome on. Welcome to Victory Drive, man. Um, been really looking forward to having you on. We've been talking back and forth for a little while now. And, man, I'm glad, you know, time life has kind of settled down a little bit for both of us, it sounds like. And we're finally able to sit down and chit-chat a little bit. So, Yeah, for sure, man. I, uh, I was on a podcast with Kurt over there, working class, and he was like, man, I need to get you on with Victory Drive and Jacob and because uh, Kurt's always bouncing gun questions off me, and he's he's like, you guys need to chat about guns and rifles and everything. And I was like, that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, this is a a new venture for working class bow hunter and myself. Obviously, I've I had I got well, I guess a little bit on me. I guess I did have a very small podcast I did with my brother and a buddy way back in the day, but that was just like kind of bullshitting about politics and stuff so it was pretty small but it was it was pretty fun um but this is like my this is my first you know time having a podcast as a host and everything else so but it's a it's been a really fun venture so far and i'm really looking forward to the future and getting guys yeah like you on. yeah I, uh, yeah i listened to uh episode one with your buddy who's a police officer i really enjoyed that one and then uh listened to you on a podcast over in working class enjoyed that one as well with you and lee i think we're on it oh lee's yeah a, lee's, a, lee's a goofball but you know that's <laughs> yeah. all right yeah we'll, um, let him, we'll, we'll let him have a pass on that one he's just, yeah lee, lee is an interesting guy he's such a he seems like such a such a pure soul like i look at him it's like 
almost like I don't I, obviously he's a full fledged adult, but I just look at him as like just an innocent child. You know, yeah, like, he oh. is, and I I always give him a lot of hell. Yeah, <laughs> um, he used to ride bulls, but I always tell him every day you couldn't. There's no way you made it eight seconds. So, oh really? <laughs> oh to, yeah, he used to ride bulls. Yeah, yeah, and uh, his wife loves when I just mess with him all the time about it. So. Oh, I bet. <laughs> Hurt his hurt his ego a little bit, you know. Hey, you know what? As a man, sometimes you need that just a little punch in the ego every <laughs> once in a while, just to you know, yeah. let you, just to reset, recenter your zero, I guess, or whatever you want to say. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, but uh, before we get too far, if people that are listening don't know. Uh, what do you do? Like you work, and well, I, you work for Jury Outdoors, right? Yep. Yes, I'm. I'm one of Mark's farm managers. Me and Wade Robinson work together pretty much every day on on all the farms between uh, Iowa and Missouri. I originally grew up in southern Illinois. Uh, Waterloo was my hometown, about 45 minutes south of St. Louis on the Illinois side, right about right on the Mississippi River. Hmm. Um, I grew up there. Left um, right out of high school, I joined the Illinois Army National Guard. I did six years as a Cav Scout. My unit was in uh, Pontiac, Illinois, 2106 Cav. Um, and then right before, right before I got out of the military, I was attending U of I, University of Illinois, in Champaign, getting my Fish and Wildlife Management degree. I was a couple months from uh, ETSing out of the service, and I uh, put together a resume. And I sent it to a bunch of um, big name outdoor companies, you know, Mossy Oak, Drury's, you know, Lee and Tiff and, you know, a lot of people and uh, just sent an email or mailing address, whatever I could find. I sent a resume and it was two days later, I was sitting in a history class in, in college and Mark Drury called me on the phone. I didn't even answer it. He left me a voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I did a kind of a phone interview right then and there. He, just kind of right place, right time. He was looking for somebody to, uh, to add to the, to the fleet. And, uh, I came to Iowa twice and interviewed and, and got the job. And I've, I've been up here for three years now and I, I love it. So. Oh shit. That's awesome, dude. You, yeah. You, you cool guide Mark Drury. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say I cool guide him, but, uh, just, <laughs> I just, I, I didn't, I didn't recognize the number and, uh, it was out of Iowa and I didn't put two and two together. And, uh, I had a voicemail when I got out of class and I, somebody could have pushed me over in the parking lot of the school. I can tell you that. I was going to say, how jacked were you when you got that? Were you listening back to that voicemail? Yeah, I was, I was pretty fired up and no one like that class. I didn't have any buddies in or any, any of my roommates or anything. So I was just <laughs> in a parking lot by myself looking around, like who can I high five? And there wasn't anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no one there to celebrate the, no, no, <laughs> That is that's that's pretty awesome, dude. Um, did but yes? Did anyone else get a hold of you, or was Mark the only the only ones that got back to you? Um, I had uh, Mossy Oak Native Nurseries sent me an email back about they were needing people, but uh, either moved to Mississippi, I believe, or uh, or Iowa. I was like, yeah, Iowa sounds a lot better. Yeah, no shit. I, I <laughs> me as an Iowa native, an Iowa resident, I think you made the right choice. I mean, oh wait, you're in Missouri though, right? Or are you in Iowa? No, I, I live. Uh, I live in Osceola. It's about forty Osceola, minutes from okay. the Missouri line. Okay, yeah. okay. No, I'm a, 
I'm an Iowa resident. Okay. Got to have that for those tags, you know? You really do, honestly. And if you have the, yes. if you have the choice between living in – if you're going to live on the border of Iowa, Illinois, and Missouri, kind of in that – within striking distance of those three states, you might as well just live in Iowa. Yep. Yeah, because Missouri, you can buy out of state, and so you, so can you in Illinois. So. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think I think we made the right choice. Um, because uh, so you said you were you weren't even you weren't even done with college yet when you started interviewing stuff. Um, no, I was not. So did you just start? Did you work while you were going to college, then, or did you wait until you're graduated to start working? Or yeah, yeah, I waited. Um, okay. I had my first interview. It was uh, like mid-October because when I come up, Coon Dog and Mark's mom was here. She was hunting with a crossbow in Missouri. And then my second interview would have been uh, like first November-ish. Wade was back from Alberta, and I interviewed with him. And then I was actually in a tree stand at my dad's farm uh, when Mark called me. I like answered the phone. I was like, hello. And he was like, are you hunting? And I was like, yeah, it's November 9th, Mark. What do you mean am I hunting? You know? And uh, he uh, he was like, well, if you want to move to Iowa, the job's yours. And I, like, just stopped whispering. And I was like, yep, sounds good, man. I'll, I'll uh, get with you on when I'm coming. <laughs> so uh, I finished out school, graduated in December. And uh, I think the day after Christmas, I moved to Iowa and started uh, started working. That's awesome, man. You're just living the dream of a lot yeah. of people, a lot of people's dreams, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Everyone says it's a dream. I mean, it's a dream. It's a fun job. And, and Mark and Wade and Terry and Forrest and all, everyone at Drew's is just top-notch guys, man. And, and it's just a family affair, really. doesn't matter if you're blood or not. But uh, um, it's a pile of work, too. You know, oh, everyone yeah. gets to see – everyone gets to see that 30-minute highlight reel of the TV show or the deer season – um, on uh, on YouTube or DeerCast, you know, wherever you guys watch watch the shows. But there's a there's a full time, forty, fifty, sixty hour weeks um, that go into go into killing all those deer and all them turkeys. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. And just because you're living the you know living the quote unquote dream doesn't mean that comes along with you know not working. You know, right. <laughs> it's like right. I don't know, I, guys like you, you know, you wouldn't be able to sit around and have a boring job anyways it seems like i i just mentioned i guess now but we've chit chatted before and i you know listened to you on podcast before it's like i don't know if i could really see you as a desk guy or a, no one of those no easy I'd, jobs i guess <laughs> yeah i'd make i'd make it about two days and then i'd run through the wall like the kool-aid man yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't make it man yeah the job i, I have now I, is pretty easy but still i still get to get out and work my hands and shit so yeah for sure but yeah, no, that's, that's awesome, man. I've been, you know, what's funny is I've, I grew up hunting and stuff in Iowa just with my dad. I wasn't like, I don't know. I loved hunting, but I joined the, I joined the army also when I was very young and I just kind of left for a while. Like I started out in the national guard and then did my, did, I don't know. I think I did four years in the guard. Yeah. I think I did four years total in the guard. And then, but in a deployment to Afghanistan, came back and I decided to go active duty and I was gone for six years. So during that whole time, I didn't do a whole lot of hunting, but the whole time I was gone, I was thinking, I'm like, man, when I get home, 
I'm going to get back into hunting and it's going to be awesome. And that's just something sure. I, I always look forward to just the, the rotations between going out in the field and training and all that shit. And then trying to find time to go hunting wherever you're stationed at. Like I was, and I was stationed in Fort Carson, Colorado for quite a while. And oh, yeah. it would have been awesome to go out and hunt some elk when I was there, but I just didn't, just didn't have the time during the fall. We were always busy going out in the field and all sorts of other stuff. So it kind of sucked, but when I yeah, got home, I was sure. like, hell yeah, this is going to be awesome. But I, yep. I guess w- when I was growing up, I watched Jury Outdoors growing up as a kid. A oh, little, yeah. little bit. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I think every, every kid did, but I was not, I don't know. I didn't watch it near as much as like some other people. I guess I watched it a little bit and, um, it's just one of those things like the way I hunted, I never had a lot of land. So it's kind of like one of those things where I'm like, ah, this is unattainable. Like this kind of stuff is definitely out of the, out of the realm for me. Cause I don't own a bunch of land. I didn't grow up with a, in a family that had a bunch of land. So I didn't really watch it as much as a lot of other people, but obviously you still know who Mark Drury and Terry Drury and everyone is from the Drury outdoors. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah. I guess as an adult too, looking into it, it's like, man, even if you don't have a bunch of land, there's still so much you can learn from those guys. Yeah. And it, I mean, I, it's a, it's a lot of misconstrued um, information I think that comes across to people and, and yeah, they, they used to, Terry still has a decent, decent farm. I want to say it's 1200 acres, which is, which is large, but not, you know, craziness. Um, you know, Mark up here in Iowa, we've kind of done a different approach and uh, talked about this on a few podcasts. But uh, we, uh, our biggest consecutive acre farm currently is 417 acres. So, oh, really? yeah, um, we've gotten away from the large tracts of land that he used to have, you know, sold them and bought different pieces um, a little bit farther away from each other because of EHD. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was the main reason. And also you just get into different deer herds and, uh, we kind of, kind of, he kind of pioneered a different strategy of having what we call a lot of satellite farms, not a lot of acres, but a lot of satellites. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got, we've, we've got a couple eighties that are a few miles. Um, I say a few miles are probably 10 miles North of kind of our main stuff. But our main stuff stretched out about probably five, six acres or five, six miles east to west. We kind of have farms strung out along there. Um, and then we have a farm probably 10 miles south, which is the 417. And then we have another handful of farms that are strung out um, into the northern part of Missouri there. So we've gotten away from that large acre number you know, having one or two farms that are huge to having, you know, six, 17 farms that are 80 acres, 120, you know, got a couple 300 pieces and then a 417. So, um, we even got, we even, we have a 40, we have a 40 acre piece in Missouri. So we go from 40 acres to 417 in the, in the realm of how big of a piece of ground we're hunting on. So we've got a lot of eighties, a lot of one twenties and, you know, the, mixtures in between so yeah and see like when you break it down like that that makes a lot more sense especially for you know working working class guys that you know are maybe saving trying to save their money up to buy a farm and everything else and they're in their in their in their heads they're probably thinking yeah 
the juries they have yeah okay 13 14 15 2000 acres two, two like plus farms that they're buying so obviously they're going to have a lot of deer cuz they have all this continuous land to um, mess around on so that is awesome to kind of hear that mark that mark himself actually has been dropping acres a little bit did he just start doing that not too long ago or cuz did yeah he... about about probably yeah Wade really would know, but probably four, four or three, four years ago, probably a year or two before I started here. Okay. Because um, the first summer that I did food plots and stuff while working here, I worked on one of the large farms that we had, but he sold it there uh, not a month or two later. Um, okay. So that was kind of the, the ending of the big farms. And then we spread out, got into different deer herds to combat EHD. And, uh, it, it works well, man. I mean, for anyone out there that's saving to buy a piece, don't don't think you can't kill, you know, a mature deer or two a year on a 40 or an 80 or a 60. It's very doable. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes the right steps and the right planning and takes the right farm. I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, you can't BS that. But uh, it's very doable. Yeah. So when when Mark is looking at these farms to buy, is he like um, obviously neighbors take into effect and stuff too? But is he specifically specifically looking for farms that are connected to bigger chunks and stuff too, or is he kind of buying like looking for stuff that's almost out a ways and like disconnected? Um, no, not necessarily. Uh, we got to you know you mentioned neighbors, and honestly, you do your homework and that can make or break a small piece of property. It's just, that's just the nature of the beast. Um, but as far as what he's looking at is a farm that's got everything on the small acres, you know, somewhere where we can put a food plot, where can we access from that is very unintrusive and what wind direction can we hunt if we have a food plot and if we access from this spot. Also, what kind of cover are we dealing with? Can we enhance the cover? Is there cover around? Um, that's kind of the, the gist of things. But I would say the biggest thing that a lot of people don't do or overlook, you know, somebody, there. you know, there's a working class out there that's a welder, pipe fitter, cop, whatever you are, you know, um, that makes good money and can afford a piece of ground. But if you don't stay out of it, if you intrude in it every time, you know, your kids running around riding four wheelers, whatever it may be, you know, you're not going to have mature deer to, uh, to hunt, you know, consistently at least. So I think that's the biggest thing that people don't see us, but we never go on the farms. And if we're on the farms, we're on that, you know, the edge, we're doing something, you know, pulling the camera, we're gone. So that's, that's the biggest thing when it comes to small acres is, is intrusion. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously you, there's times where you have to get in there and do stuff, but um, yeah, no doubt, you know, in the summer when we're working or, you know, we, we walk all the farms, farms during shed season. But other than that, we don't, we don't do a whole lot deep in our farms. Yeah. And that's kind of weird for me. Cause I, you know, I hunt a couple of permission pieces and mostly public, but, uh, the permission pieces that I do have, I like that's where for me personally, that's where like deer cast comes in to effect where, you know, if I'm, if it's like, if the weather's not really good, basically if deer cast does, isn't green, then I'm pretty much leaving my permission pieces alone as much as I can. 
And, yeah. And then I'm going out. And if I really have the edge to get out, then, you know, I'll, I'll get out in public. And there's, and there's certain pieces of public that I, that I hunt that I treat as if it's private because man, um, you get a good piece of public that's talk. You find it, you find the, I guess the X within the X and of a spot where it's like, this is, this area is very hard to get to very hard to access. And if you want to stay legal and stay on the public the whole time, you can really screw that spot up. Cause if no one, if not a whole lot of other people have found it, or if they have found it, they just decide it's not worth hunting then you can really screw that spot up too pretty quickly. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, deer cast, man, for, especially for the working guys, plan vacation to go hunting and all that stuff. I mean, even at, every day, you know, I get on there and look at the weather and just for what I'm doing, whether I'm going coyote hunting or trapping or whatever, but like that, that predictive model to tell you if it's going to be good, bad, and the wind and everything that goes into it, just such a help when it comes to being able to pick out where you're going and like if you're a working guy when you're going to take vacation and stuff like that you know it's it's a tool i wish i had when i was growing up that's for oh, sure yeah. yep <laughs> honestly I mean, I, not not even that you, long ago that it wasn't like it was, when did deer cast come out it was no was it five years ago okay I thought it was coming. I, out. I'm not. I'm not 100 percent on that. Yeah, I think it. I want to say it wasn't around when I first got out of the army, except first year when I got out. The first and second year was for me like the huge trial and like just getting back into hunting. It's like man, because I, I I know for a fact I did not have it, whether it was out or not. I know I didn't have it then, and I really wish I did because there's times where well, and you know, I guess you kind of have to do that when you're getting back into hunting or learning how to hunt and stuff too. You kind of got to get out there and just do shit and make mistakes and see what happens. But yeah, that's, that's with a lot of things. You just got to go out there and fail. Yeah. You, know, you become, you just become better. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's one thing too. It's like, man, I don't know, being in the military, I don't know if it's like, it was like that as a, when you're in the cab, but it's not, it, a lot of times when, when my hunt, when I was adapting my hunting style is very much like, okay, just everyone says kind of going deep. So I'll just go in super deep. Then I'm just finding myself just walking past a shit ton of sign. I was like, well, this has got to be too close to the road. I'm only, you know, 500, like 300 yards in or 400 yards in, just blowing past a bunch of shit. And like, I have to get back way back in here. And then you just end up walking around and pissing everything off. And (laughs) yeah. What was it? What was your MLS in the service? Uh, I was a, when I was in the guard, I was 11 Bravo, but so I was a infantryman when I was yep. in the guard and I was in the scout sniper platoon. I wasn't a sniper, but I was in the, I was the a reconnaissance. So that was one thing when I was in, that was kind of funny actually, sorry, you probably get a kick out of, but there was this one time I was at the PX and, uh, some guy asked me, you know, what I did and we we're sitting in line waiting to buy our energy drinks and chew and stuff. Some guy asked yeah. me, some guy asked me, he's like, he's like, what do you, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a scout. And he's like, Oh no shit. He's like, Oh, cool. I'm a Cav Scout, too. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not a Cav Scout. I'm an infantry scout. And don't mind you, I was like 17, 18. No, I was 18 at this time. Because so I just got done with AIT. And I just got to my unit. And they're like, they're like, infantry scout. There's no infantry scouts. I'm like, well, I'm a scout. 
and I'm infantry, so I'm an infantry scout, you know? I just, I just worded it wrong. He was getting like, he's like, are you fucking retarded? Like, I'm, you know, I was like, are you stupid? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, do you not understand that there's cav scouts and there's, you know, you're an infantryman? I'm like, well, I was in a, I'm in a reconnaissance platoon. He's like, oh, so you're an infantryman in a reconnaissance platoon. I'm like, yeah, okay, that makes more sense. I was just, you know, <laughs> he's just like really confused. I'm like, well, I'm an infantry scout. I was like, well, no, there's calves got in this. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, dude. <laughs> somebody, but, somebody was getting a little LT on you. A little bit, yeah. I think I want to say he was just a specialist. I was a, I was a PFC, and I think he was a specialist. And he was getting all bucky. Yeah, like, man. I don't know what to tell you, man. That's what it is. So, <laughs> yeah. But in the infantry, there's only there's one scout platoon, like one reconnaissance platoon per battalion. To my, oh yeah. Yeah, per battalion, I think there's only one reconnaissance platoon. At least that's how our battalion was set up. We had the reconnaissance, reconnaissance platoon, which consisted of, you know, the majority of the platoon was were scouts, were just regular eleven Bravo infantrymen. Then the the snipe, then you had the sniper section back there, and there were the eleven Bravo, and then the Bravo fours, which Bravo the four identifies that they're a sniper. So, yeah. Yep. But yeah, no, that was a that was a blast. Honestly, I, those guys became like brothers to me, and I still talk to a lot of them to this day. And it was a definitely don't regret my time in, but I'm also glad I'm done. Yeah, yeah, I'm the same way. I got some just some guys that I still talk to today, and my first sergeant, my platoon sergeant, a bunch of I just got married in last May, and a bunch of guys came to my wedding. It was just. It was like we never left off, you know. Was, those guys are just just brothers forever. Yep, so. absolutely. Um, so, yeah, because you, you said you were a Cav Scout, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So, excuse my ignorance, but I when it comes to cavalry, I don't really – like, I know what they do. But were you in a Bradley then? Oh, uh, no, we know? were we were, we were were light Humvee unit. You're light Humvee unit, okay. Yep, we were light up armor unit. And then we had a we had a sniper team attached to us as well as a mortar team. Okay. So, yep. So, so the way the cavalry is kind of set up, so in your squadron, right? That's like the size. That's like your battalion, right? Or is that your company? Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Okay. So in your is there how many? I guess light cav scouts are there. Um, there would be Alpha, which was my unit. There's three platoons of about, you know, say 25-ish guys. Okay, gotcha. And then in our squadron, there was Alpha, Bravo, and Charlie. Charlie was an infantry uh, troop. Bravo and Alpha were scout troops. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. So there was probably... I don't know, hundred and I don't know that exact number, but yeah, because mid one hundred scouts, and then all three of us had a mortar platoon attachment, and all three had sniper attachments as well. Okay. Okay. So I was a I started I drove the first year. I was a Mark nineteen gunner. Uh, the second year, and then the last four years, I was a 50 cal gunner on the lead truck for my platoon. Okay. So, nice. 
Yeah, because the way it was set up in our unit was I was part of HHC, which is headquarters and headquarters company. And yep. so we were really like, okay, so in HHC, there's the recon platoon, which is my platoon. Then you had the mortar platoon. And then you had the, well, I guess the Fisters were part of the, the fit, uh, the forward observers, we call them Fisters. Yep. Yeah. So the Fisters were part of the mortar platoon. And then you had like your headquarters element and all your like other, I guess, pogey type office jobs. Heck so, yeah. yeah. So like I'm so glad you used that word. <laughs> oh Pogue. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, Pogue stands for person other than grunt. Um because I, I have to explain that stuff because when I get talking like military talk, I've had some listeners kind of be like, Hey, can you explain some of these terms yeah, as you're you, talking? So <laughs> Yeah, you and I understand each other, but other other folks don't. Yeah. yeah. Yep. That's funny too, because uh yeah, just I guess going off of when I was in the guard, but when I went active duty which is stupid, but when I went active duty, my brother and I went active duty, went active together, and we had to change our MOS. So we went in there. We're like, "Hey, yeah, we want to take infantry and everything else." And I go, "Well, there's no slots available for infantry," and I'm like, "Well, that's weird because there's always slots available for infantry." Right. They're <laughs> like, "Well, there are slots, but those are slots for brand new recruits. There's no." prior serve like prior service slots available i'm like that doesn't gotcha. make any damn sense but my brother and i really wanted to go back to duty so we're like okay so we started kind of going through and i think our next um choice was you know cav like cav scout and like nope and we're like okay medic nope and like we went through all the combat jobs that we wanted we're like nope 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 and like the best we can do for you guys is um we have 42 alpha which is your I guess your office clerk type shit, like the, the pogey jobs. And we yeah. didn't want, we didn't want to do that. So we're like, okay, what else you got? And they said, <laughs> they said laundry specialist was the next one. <laughs> so my brother and I are like, are you kidding me? Like, no, like why are you even wasting our time? There's absolutely no way I'm going to be a laundry specialist or a pencil pusher. So we got up to leave and I'm like, well, just wait, let me call, let me call up higher up. And this is at a uh, MEPS and they're like, let me call higher were they were they dicking you over because you were prior guard? I think so. Yeah, I think so, man. Yeah. Especially looking back, and I really think they were dicking us around because we we're guard, and they're just like, "I want to fuck with these guys." Because right, yeah, people it's not worth, our, worth our time. It's a it's crazy that the the big army hates on guard units like they do, and oh, like it's insane. the I mean, I've seen some very bad guard units, but like. Alpha Troop that I was in, 2106 Cav, them guys are straight walled mofos, man. They, I mean, we had guys that compete, you know, at Ranger School and everything, for, mm-hmm. you know, with Big Army. It's like, you know, you can't, you can't knock the unit I came from, from a guard unit. Oh, absolutely. And I feel like that's kind of the MO with Midwest Guardians because my guard unit was fucking awesome. Like, we, yeah. like, obviously we had our, we had our shit bags that, you know, Every unit has their shit bags. And we oh, have, yeah. You know, 100%. We, everyone does. But for as a whole, our unit was pretty damn squared away. And especially my platoon. Like, my whole platoon, we were all – we all got along very well. We all worked together very well. It was very – it was very different than any other unit I've ever been ever been a part of. But uh, 
so that was kind of like that was kind of the thing. Like when we were in Afghanistan doing our thing, we did we stayed busy. Like we had our as a guard unit, we had our own battle space, which was kind of I guess kind of rare for National Guard units to have their very own like big battle space. Yeah, for and, sure. And so we, we that's what we were doing when we were in Afghanistan. We stayed very busy as a since we were a battalion asset, we're the reconnaissance platoon with our snipers. Like we all, we had to split up. Like there was times where, you know, first squad would go out with Alpha Company for however long. They they actually had us split up for quite a while in the beginning of the deployment. So they had like first squad was attached to Alpha, third uh, second squad was attached to. They were in like the main the main fob in Metterlam with like the the rest of the guys. Like that was our main headquarters fob. That's where second squad was. And third squad was my squad that I started with. We were attached to Charlie Company, and that was that. And then we had snipers kind of stuck throughout, like, with each squad as well. And, man, like, then we eventually all came back and went stayed in Metterlam together, the main fob, and just operated out of there. But, I don't know, we just, we we stayed very, very busy. And we, I don't know if you'd say that we got kind of cocky, I guess, when we got back, where we're like, hey, we stayed very busy, we're... We did a lot of shit. And then when I went active duty, I was kind of like, you know, why wouldn't you take me? <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, I'm a trained infantryman. Like, my yeah. PT scores were... Yeah. My, my brother and I both had very good PT scores at the time. And we're like, this, this doesn't make any sense. So we were getting ready to leave. And then they told us, like, okay, the best we can get you is fuel artillery. So I was like, Okay. I guess we'll take okay. it. Yeah. I, had, yeah. I had my daughter on the way and stuff, and I'm like, all right, well, if that's the best you can do for combat, we'll, we'll take it. So we did. We went back to AIT for fuel artillery, and that's what we did for the next six years. And it was, I wouldn't say it was horrible, but it wasn't good, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for I, sure. I had really high hopes, and looking back at the time I spent as a, as a guardsman, I was like, man, there's no way that the act, the big army, active duty guys that do this day in day out, are this ate up. And no, they just were. No. They were like they. I don't know. I was like, this doesn't make sense. But, but I think that's kind of the <laughs> that's kind of the mo with being in the Midwest. You know, you were in the Illinois Guard, and I was in the Iowa Guard. It seems like the Midwest just we just are better than a lot of other places. You know, hate to say it, like that. yeah, we yeah, get our shit. I'm a- yeah, we there's some some stellar guard units in the state of Illinois. There really is, and some stellar guys. But and we, I I never deployed. Um, I wanted to. We did JRTC and XCTC. We were a fully qualified unit to go. There just wasn't much going on when I was, you know, the years I was in. So mm-hmm. when were you in? Um, We've been thirteen to nineteen. Oh yeah, yep. That was a pretty. That's kind of a dead spot. Yeah, my unit just got had gotten back from Afghanistan um, in t- uh, right at the end of eleven, beginning at twelve. Um, okay. So I I just you know then I got in right at the beginning of thir- two thousand thirteen. So I just missed it, but I, I also like I missed missed out on the deployment, which is you know if you don't go in the military wanting to get deployed, then what are you doing? In my opinion. Right. Um, but also like, I also was blessed though, that like, there was a lot of guys that just got back. So I got to train with some guys who, you know, firsthand saw everything in the real world, you know, training type scenario. So oh, yeah. that was a, that was a good thing. 
Yep. No, that's awesome. That was one thing too. And we got back because when I, when I joined, I was, so when I first joined, I was 17 and I did the split up program. So, okay. yeah. So I, you know, basic junior year of high school and then go back after basic, do your senior year of high school. And then after your senior year of high school, then you go back for AIT. Yep. Let me tell you. Worst decision I ever made in the military. That <laughs> that fucking sucked. Like, to go through red phase twice. So, like, during training we had, I don't know if it's the same for in cavalry, but we had red phase, blue phase, whatever. Oh, yeah. Whatever color yeah, phases, you know. Okay. So, red phase is where you just get smoked constantly, basically. Yeah. It's, so they just treat it's you like, just hell. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's just hell. And they try to beat the civilian out of you. And uh, I had to do that twice, basically. Because we went back to AIT and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, seeing everyone else in AIT when we were there for basic. And they weren't getting smoked all day, at least. Maybe half the day. So that, that'd be that'd be pretty nice. And then the drill sergeants were like, you think you're going to get out of doing red phase again? Hell no. <laughs> yeah. So Yeah, that sounds horrible. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a good time. They did not like us. A bunch of drill sergeants from active duty having to train a bunch of, well, nasty girls and they just treat mm-hmm. they just beat the snot out of us but <laughs> yeah they always they always would like to pick on on the guards guys they did they did which is it's just, it's it's weird i don't get it but i don't either but at the same time i kind of do i guess after being in active duty like i don't it wasn't it wasn't right especially when i had when i was constantly comparing my active duty life to my national guard experience I was like, you guys have no room to talk, like, ever. So, <laughs> from what I've seen. But uh, I do understand it to an extent as everyone that's active duty doing it every single day. It's like, yeah, you get pretty chapped. Yeah. you know. But so. honestly, I think, you know, in my opinion, I think that's why some of the guard units are so good. Because these guys live, you know, we got to live a kind of normal civilian life mentally you're you know relaxed and then when it's mission ready time like your your mindset is like 100 percent go like you're all in yep because you're not burnt out oh yeah i you, i 100 you know, agree i think i think that's a one reason why guard units are so successful yep no i i 100 agree especially after being active duty for you know six six or so years it's it does. yeah you get to see it on the flip side yeah and i thought in my mind i was like okay because when in the guard when we went in there for our one week and a month to train one week and a month two weeks a year that one week and a month and two weeks a year exactly like you said like we weren't we weren't beaten down by planning the training necessarily because we had there were some act like active active national guard guys that squared away the majority of the kind of the back the background shit for us yeah yeah we just kind of walked in they're like hey grab the grab your vehicles and head over here to do some training or whatnot wherever is that and uh we trained and we yeah we trained hard and just like what you said we were we were always focused and training and it was cool to get to get back with your boys and train together and hang out and it was it was fun and it was high quality training then when you're active duty you go in there and you're sitting there you walk in at four in the morning super fucking tired because you drank all night last night and right <laughs> you walk into pt and you're getting ready to go for a run 
and, and but you you have to be there at four in the morning. Even though PT doesn't start until six, you have to be there at four because you got to be there super early. Because if anyone's late, then you can all get in trouble for a dude being late. And it's just like that constant being in there and seeing the same guys every day. It brings you really close, but it also you're just like, man, this sucks. Kind of, yeah, know? <laughs> for sure. I can see it. I mean, yeah. There's always it, so much training you can do. Sense. You can't, yeah. you can't do high quality training every fucking day. So you go in there, you do your PT, you leave, you get tra- um, dressed, ready to go for the normal work day, and then we would get to work and we, I don't know, stand around and stare at each other for a little while, and w- <laughs> wonder what the hell we're doing. Then our platoon sergeant would get done with his meeting with first sergeant and come down and say, "All right, guys, this is the plan plan of action for the day. Go out to the motor pool and." PMCS, uh, preventive maintenance checks and stuff for your, your vehicles. So go basically go do maintenance on your vehicles. We're like, we just did that yesterday. Like, right. do more maintenance. Yeah. It's like, okay. So we walk out there and we're maintaining our vehicles and then you get that done in probably like three or four hours and you're sitting out in the motor pool and you end up walking back to the building and then you get yelled at for being in the building. So you walk back out in the motor pool and you sweep for another two hours and then it's like, you just yeah there's a lot of that just standing around staring at each other waiting to get released and then oh yeah and then you know seven like five o'clock rolls around we're like well we should be getting released pretty soon and then you don't yeah right waiting waiting for the time to say hey you can go home now yep (laughs) (laughs) waiting for final formation and then six o'clock rolls around still nothing seven o'clock rolls around still nothing and like gosh dang it seriously then finally it's like form it up all right god here we go then you can get released for the day yeah. And you go home, you drink, and then you do it all over again the next day. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely understand why a lot of active duty guys would look at the National Guard and be like, you guys suck. Because you're happy and at least pretty well trained. <laughs> so yeah, I, don't, right. I, don't, I don't like you. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> but it wasn't for sure. It wasn't all bad. That Active duty wasn't all terrible bad. I made a lot of good friends and stuff. Definitely don't regret it, but. I'm definitely glad I'm yep. home. I'm definitely glad I'm home and doing what I'm doing now. So, oh yeah, but but yeah, okay. Well, um, I guess moving on from that, we don't want to sit here and talk army for you know two hours. So, uh, <laughs> um, I did want to ask about specifically like the because we were kind of touched on before the six eight western. Um, so that that is uh, a Winchester round. Am I right? Yep. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a new new caliber, new round from Winchester called the 6.8 Western. Um, it is a absolute hammer when it comes to shooting whitetails. I've, I've not gotten to shoot anything else with it, but I think it would also be a great elk gun. Um, it's essentially a 270 short mag, but they necked it back out a little bit, and they played with bullet weights. And they've got it shooting. It actually, um, you know, foot-pounds energy, velocity, it's actually beating a 6.5 PRC. So um, for people out there that are 6.5 fans, it puts a Creedmoor to shame. I can see that. So don't even even compare it to that. Um, But the 6.5 PRC and the 6.8 Western are very comparable. Um, it does beat it out of the gate on both 
foot-pounds energy and velocity. And honestly, what I just love about it, it is it's a dead in their tracks type of cartridge. Um, if you will, I've shot, Oh, 20 ish plus or minus does with it in the last two years in Missouri. And, uh, myself, Mark and Wade have used it. And, uh, I mean, it is just devastating on them. And this year accompanied with silencer central banish 30 on the end of it, it is very pleasant to shoot. I mean, take a 270 recoil, because that's what it is. It's a .277 bullet is what the 6.8 is mm -hmm. uh, in a 270 case, short mag case, essentially. But they've changed the dimensions and the neck on it a little bit. Um, but it is, it is a killing round. And honestly, it's the next round and the next gun that I'm going to build for a long-range gun. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to build a gun to go out West with if I ever get to go. And, um, that's what I'm going to build it off of hundred okay. percent. So, cause jury outdoors, you guys are partnered with Winchester, correct? We are. Yes. Yep. We shoot all Winchester. You guys shoot all Winchester. So have you been shooting the, the XPR in the six, eight quite a bit? Is that, yep. yeah, we have a, we have a, just a normal baseline XPR from Winchester barrels threaded for our, Banish 30 from Silencer Central and uh, topped with a Leupold VX6, I believe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, pretty... Honestly, the XPR, I think a, a lot of people will kind of look at that as uh, a cheap rifle. You know, because price-wise, it's really... It's not that expensive, and it is a cheaper rifle, but it's I definitely put it in that category of... It's one of the better, cheaper, like, I guess, quote-unquote, budget rifles that you can get. Yep. Yeah. I'm, I'm all about, I mean, we can go through some other builds that I have like my coyote gun and whatnot, but oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm all about budget. I mean, I'm, I'm a working class guy as well. I might have a, a very dream job, if you will, you know, we touched on earlier, but I'm a, I'm a working class guy and I'm a huge gun fanatic, but I also don't, I don't have just thousands of dollars laying around to, right. to build these guns that I want to build. So XPR is a heck of an option for a, you know, baseline affordable rifle. Yeah. Cause I think it's right in that wheelhouse of like six, $700, isn't it? Yeah, right I believe right so. Yeah. I believe it's, I believe it's in the $600 mark. Yep. Um, and I've shot every caliber from 223, 270, 6.8. Uh, I'm trying to think what else we have. 350 legend, all those mm -hmm. in the XPR and they're all, shooters yeah that's because I, I have a ruger american that's like a 500 dollars rifle yep but man i tell you what i, and I was talking to matt matt hoinas about this from silencer central i was talking to him about this a little bit too and honestly like me personally if you don't have if you're a working class guy like we were talking about too and like yeah yeah because if you're a working class guy and you're gonna kind of skimp or not i don't even want to say skimp but if you're gonna if you're going to put a lot of money towards something, I, me personally, I would rather put my money more towards good optics and good accessories than buy a cheaper rifle. Because I'm telling you right now, like that Ruger American and the Winchester XPR, I haven't, I haven't shot the Winchester XPR by no guys that have, and you're still shooting MOA easily oh, with, yeah. with those guns. And that's, yep. 
to get MOA and even sometimes depending on your loadout and everything else you have going on, you can even get them to shoot sub MOA if you're, you know, if you're a good shot and you have a good glass on top of there. It's like you're getting a, a very high quality, good shooter gun for not a lot of money. And then you can put a loophole on top of that bad boy and dump some, dump a little bit more money. Because honestly, if you're getting a loophole, like some of those loopholes, in that aspect, if you're saving money on the gun and it's going to hit where you want it to hit, you got to be able to see where you're wanting to hit. And yeah. it's got to be able to hold yeah, the zero. Think- so. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good point. There's a lot of very good um, budget friendly rifles out there that shoot MOA consistently. I mean, I think I I think I sent you a video of one of the does I shot with the six eight, yep. with the loophole on it, and uh, I have it turreted, sighted in out to three hundred, where you just dial in and shoot. And uh, I shot a doe this year in Missouri at two thirty five. I just dialed up, held solid smoked her i mean it was it, you know and, and that gun all day long will do it i mean i just haven't spent the time but i i think you could dial out to four or five hundred if you uh if you got a solid rest oh i think so with my with uh my ruger american and i put those i definitely put the winchester xpr and ruger american in the same kind of category when you're talking price and quality um yep. and i'll shoot my ruger american out uh, I think f- furthest I shot it when I was just target practice. I think we shot out to uh, right right at 500, and it was. Yep. I mean, you're. I mean, it was pretty scary accurate out to 500. So yeah. I was like, holy shit! Like this is pretty awesome. And uh, that was when I was getting ready for my pronghorn hunt, and I, and also my Ruger American in six five, and and that XP like. Like I said, it's like you get those budget rifles and you can, if you can shoot them, if you can hold solid and you get it out there, I would not have a problem shooting three, 400 yards of those guns at all. No, not, not at all. My Kyle gun's a budget build for sure. Just wait till you hear the barrel I got on this thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you, I, everyone out there that's a working class guy just we don't have the money to buy proof barrels all the time and, no, you, you know, ballistic advantages and all that fancy, you know, good shooting stuff. I mean, no, no disrespect to them. They make some awesome stuff, but you know, you can go buy a Winchester XPR for 600 bucks and, and shoot the same thing. So, Oh yeah. Absolutely. It's all about, it's all about what you want. Yep. And, and me, man, honestly, personally, um, like I, like I said earlier, it's like, I would want, if my optic costs, more than my rifle then i'll i'm 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 happy doing that like a oh, lot of, yeah i talked to yeah. a lot of guys who are like hey yeah you know i just bought this new rifle i bought a i don't know insert x brand here let's just use okay let's use browning a browning x bolt for example i just went out and bought a browning x bolt it's a you know i don't know fifteen hundred dollar fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred dollar gun maybe even sixty or two thousand dollars depending on the model of x bolt you got and I'm like, oh man, that's awesome. Like, that's a nice rifle from, and everything else. Like, great job. Like, what are you going to put on there? Like, well, since I spent, you know, $1,800 on this rifle, I can only afford like a, a Bushnell optic on it. I'm like, ah. nothing against, yeah. Bush, nothing against Bushnell, but I am just not, a, I, I never tell anyone to buy budget glass. I'm like, if you're going to buy yeah. a gun, buy higher end glass, you know, like 
stick with the the big the big names, you know, until hundred hundred percent. I mean, I, there's a rule of thumb, and I don't know who told me this, but I've had a few people tell me. But you know, you always spend double what you spend on your rifle for glass. So oh yeah, for that's sure. a good rule good rule of thumb to have. So yep, absolutely. And obviously, if you're going out and you're getting a custom a custom gun, which custom guns are badass. They look they look great. They shoot great. They're awesome. And if you can afford it, that, that's even more badass. But, you know, obviously maybe you don't have to put an $8,000 optic on a on a $4,000 gun. It's not what we're saying. But yeah, like, yeah. You know, but if you're talking a, if you're talking world-class guys and you're talking the 500 to $1,000 guns, then, yeah, I mean, you know, you can get a really nice loophole. Like, I think the loophole Mark V HTs, you can get those around a grand. Yep. some of those models and those are yeah. solid solid pieces of glass there not man i don't know i have a loophole mark five on my ruger and i absolutely love it yeah for sure we're uh we're blessed to be sponsored by winchester as well as loophole and those two combinations man it is yeah killer yeah death <laughs> written all <laughs> over it <laughs> oh yeah yeah so i shot 62 does this year <laughs> you said how many 62 62 does yeah holy yep. shit of, keeping keeping winchester in uh in business with the ammo making so. <laughs> dude that's awesome yeah we just do a lot of doe management on our farms and this year was a kind of a heavier year if you will wade and i normally shoot 30 a piece every year um between both states but this year we were heavy in iowa we had some farms that were just getting overrun and so we tried to knock them back as best we could so yep but uh, yeah get a get a little trigger time down there so i bet you with that um so with with your silencer on there from silencer central you're how does that come into play with your dough management oh it's huge it's huge man it's big help um we picked picked those guys up this year and they've been awesome and uh you know not only from a from a recoil and a concussion standpoint but, you know, quiet, you can get multiple follow-up shots and be able to kill multiple deer. Um, it's, it's huge. We're running a banished 46 on our 350 Legends, and we're running banished 30s on our uh, 6A, 270. And then uh, I've got a banished backcountry 30, the new one, on my uh, coyote gun, which is 243. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, so the banished backcountry, that's, that only comes in 30 cal, right? I believe so. Yep. Yeah. It's their new short kind of compact, uh, model, if you will. It's, it's quite nice. Cause I have a 22 inch barrel on that gun and, you know, having a suppressor on it, um, you know, full size would kind of make it hang out there. I don't even know if it fit in my hard case if, uh, <laughs> if it wasn't the compact, but having that compact and it's lighter weight, it's, it's a really nice setup. Yeah. Yeah. As, um, when Matt was here, he brought some, some of his toys to come down. Cause we went on a coyote hunt when he was down here. We didn't shoot anything, unfortunately, but heck yeah. Yeah. But it, we went and shot in the backyard and man, those are ridiculous. I haven't shot suppressed since the military and you forget how much, honestly, how much recoil it takes out. It is. And, and like, it's a blessing in disguise for us from, 
from the dough management shooting, but also like Wade and I film everything for the shows freehanded. We don't, we don't use a tripod. And so one of the biggest thing that people have issues with when they, if somebody comes and films us, that's not used to filming, um, you know, if a gun goes off, a lot of people jump, flinch. And, uh, I mean, we're all guilty of it. We've all, you know, I've flinched, Wade's flinched. We've all done it. It's just, um, but nine times out of 10, we do not. And the, having a suppressor on there is just, you know, game changer. It helps so much. Oh yeah. Especially cause you guys do a, a lot of hunting out of blinds, right? Out of, uh, enclosed blinds. Yeah. Yeah, we yep. do. Yeah. So, I mean, so if you're. It get, probably gets pretty pretty loud in there. Yeah, that's a that's a rule of thumb. Whoever is hunting, get that barrel out the window. <laughs> yeah, right. Dude, I can imagine yeah. shooting shooting from inside the blind. You, has anyone done that? Yeah, it's happened a few oh, times no. by mis- Yeah, by mistake. Oh um, no, turkeys turkeys mainly with a shotgun, which is even worse in my oh, opinion. Yeah. Um, I've gotten I've gotten rang rang pretty bad myself and mark it happened to twice this year during turkey season but uh it's it's rough <laughs> oh geez i bet they make uh this sounds for central make a shotgun suppressor yet i don't know i need to <laughs> call him up and ask him that's for sure so. i don't know how you feel about that i don't know huh yeah that'd be interesting i don't even know i mean i'm sure people have done it i think i've seen builds where they've done it but I don't know yeah, how that works. Yeah, I don't either because, you know, like if you ever look inside of a a, can, a silencer, you know, all the baffles, um, I don't know if you could get a wad from a shotgun load to fly straight coming out the end of that. Yeah, you I, know? Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting. And also you got the aspect of, you know, if it's a semi-gun, you know, you change a lot of gas mm-hmm. uh, pressure when you put that can on. So – I don't, I don't know. That'd be something, yes. something that somebody smarter than me and probably you need yep. to design. Yeah, yep, definitely. <laughs> that's something I was just going to say. That's something for the, the guys that sounds essential to figure out, not, not us. Right. right. <laughs> I'll shoot them yeah. if they ever did it. I, you know, I'll, I'll take yeah. them. Yeah. Oh, out, we, but... <laughs> we'd, we'd shoot them for sure. We'd love them. But, uh, so on the six, eight Western real quick. Um, so, has, have any of you guys, anyone from Drew Outdoors, went and taken like big, big game like elk or anything with the six eight Western? Um, Taylor shot a mule deer this year and an elk last year. I'm not sure what. I think her mule deer she shot the two seventy, and I could be wrong on that. Um, okay, she might have shot her elk last year with a six eight. I know I'm not hundred percent sure, but. Okay. Uh, I know that they're advertising it as an elk gun, you know, a Western gun. And mm-hmm. honestly, if you if you pull up a ballistics chart and uh, look at foot pounds energy and then pull up a 300 wind mag, um, you know, you're not far off. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. 
Visit tecovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and don't go gently, y'all. Yeah, really not. I ain't going to shit you. I was, like, I was looking at the ballistic charts on the 6.8 Western not too long ago, and it is pretty damn impressive. I haven't shot it yet. I'd love to shoot one sometime, and I actually really do want to make a 6.8 build someday. Um, but it ballistically it does look pretty impressive. Yeah, when when they first got it and they got it to us and, and I shot it, I was like, yeah, it's a you know short mag cartridge, you know it's got a little concussion to it, got a little recoil. And then I looked at the back of the you know Winchester box and looked at the ballistics and I'm you know I'm kind of a gun nut and I like to study ballistic charts and compare rounds and just something I I do oh, if yeah. something new comes out and I was sitting there looking at it and I was like, dang, you know they're they're pushing some big numbers out of that cartridge that a lot of people don't realize mhm yeah honestly six the six eight western from all the newer cartridges cartridges that I've been um really looking into because there's been a lot of new cartridges that came out like Hornady is going nuts with their p r c lines yeah and yeah. honestly like I don't know the six, i call them what? I call them fad rounds. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm just a tried and true guy. You know, I'm not a Creedmoor fan. I'm not a, you know, six five PRC is is great round if you look at a ballistic charts. But you know, there's a lot of good cartridges that are tried and trues that a lot of people have forgotten about because a company said, "Hey, we got something new." Yep. And and the only reason that the six eight, you know, if it didn't perform like I've seen it perform and I've gotten to shoot so many animals with it. Um, I, I wouldn't stand behind it, but it's a killer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Like you said, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a beefy two seventy. So yep. it's like, there's not, there's not a whole lot in that two seventy line, you know, of cartridges. So it's really cool to see the six, eight come out and put out some impressive numbers. Like they have, like there's a lot of, Okay, there's a there's a shit ton of seven mil. Like there's you know you got your seven millimeter red mag. Your now your oh, yeah. now your seven PRC. You got your two eighty Ackley improves. Your twenty eight Nosler. You got all these different seven mil rounds. And then for them, yeah, for Horny to come out with a seven millimeter PRC, it's like okay, that's cool. But man, yeah. is it is it really that much better than a twenty eight Nosler? I right. don't think so. And you're really no. you're really cornholing yourself with a seven millimeter PRC because it's like. You're pretty much like if you get a gun that shoots that because they have the PRC, the whole the big thing with that is they're shooting these big, long, heavy, heavy for caliber bullets out of these guns. And you got to change a lot to the gun in order to, to fit in that super high BC round. Right. And it's like, is it really that much better than the 28 nozzle? They're like, I don't I don't see that there. The 6.5 PRC, I do think that's better than the 6.5 Creedmoor. Um. So if you're gonna get a, if I was gonna get a six five, I'd probably get a six five PRC. If I was gonna yeah. you know get rid of my Creed more and get a six five, I'd get a PRC. If I were yep. to get a seven mil, it's like because I don't have a seven mil yet. It's like if I were to get a seven mil, I don't know if I'd get a seven PRC. Like it looks pretty cool and ballistically it looks nice, but man, that twenty nozzle has been around forever and it's fast as hell. And then yeah, yeah, I in that family of things, man. I you know, if you're not shooting a 28 Nosler, why aren't you shooting a 708, you know, tried and true? Yeah. There's a hundred different bullets out there for it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. 
I'm if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of person. And uh, there's a lot of un, there's a lot of rounds that are not broken that are people trying to fix. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that brings me to my next point. Like now we're into thirty cows. How many fucking thirty cows are out there? Oh, blue million. A million, yeah. And then you have the the king of the mountain that three hundred wind mag. Then you look at. 300 wind mag compared to 300 prc and it's like is that 300 prc really better than the 300 wind mag yeah okay it's gonna maybe it'll buck the wind a little bit better at like 500 plus yards and maybe it'll do these other things maybe it'll, maybe it'll shoot just a skosh flatter than a 300 wind mag but then like i said before that you're really stuck with those super high crazy pc bullets that you're really yeah. you're really cut you're really i don't know I don't know if the juice. The, is, I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze on that one, you know. So yeah, and the biggest thing is like, you know, you know. Hopefully, one day I I get to reload and do all that. But a lot of these new fad rounds, if you're not, um, uh, you're not, you know, got a badass bench in your basement set up mm-hmm. to reload and do all this, you know, you're you're out because yeah. you're not going to find a lot of factory ammo for these new new rounds. No, you're not. at least not at least not in you know short time. So, absolutely. Like the six five you know, Creedmoor came out guns a blazing, and it got super popular like really fast. So there's a lot of different bullet types out there for a six five Creed. But yeah. with that PRC line specifically, it's like you're really kind of stuck with Hornady. Yeah, and not saying they're bad by any means; they're a great company, but you're really kind of stuck with them at that point. Yeah, so. and, yeah. And with and you go three hundred wind mag or seven mil seven oh eight or whatever else, you got so many different. If you are a hand loader, you know you got so many different bullet manufacturers to pick from with those with those rounds. Right. Yeah. But I but, was. Uh, <laughs> there's. Uh, you were talking about the six five being so popular, and I go round and round with my. A lot of my buddies that are, that have built coyote guns and shooting thermals like I've done they shoot six fives in an AR frame and mm-hmm. I'm a, I'm a tried and true two forty three shooter. I, you know, it's hard to beat that flat, small, you know, a 90 grain bullet Oh, and for shooting, for shooting coyotes, it doesn't get much better. No, no, it doesn't. So. This, this, that I got a lot of shit for getting a six, five Creed more, honestly, when I went out, <laughs> when I went out to do my pronghorn hunt. And don't get me wrong, if it wasn't during COVID and we weren't in the middle of an ammo shortage, I would have wanted something else. But the way I picked that gun is I looked at my budget. I'm like, I don't have a shit ton of money laying around. So I went to Fleet Farm. I walked straight to the ammo section. I looked at the ammo section, and I saw yep. a bunch of 6.5 six, Creedmoor. So I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to get a 6.5 Creedmoor then, I guess. So I went around yeah. the gun section. I found... A six five Creedmoor that fit my budget and that was a Ruger American. I bought that. Then I got my my loophole for it, and I went and bought the two boxes that we were allowed to buy at the time. I went back home, shot them, got it zeroed in, feeling pretty good. Went back to Fleet Farm to buy more. <laughs> There's no six five Creedmoor. I'm like, dang it, you got me shit me right now. So I got yeah. stuck with a six five Creedmoor that I didn't really want in the first place, but I bought it because I had to I had to go on that hunt for uh it was for hunt wars so i went on that hunt for hunt wars and i needed a gun so i'm like well damn it now i don't have now i can't even find six five creed more anymore for it yeah 
Yeah, I no, I understand why people get it and everything's readily available and like what you said, ammo and you know, I just there's a lot of a lot of fad rounds that are that are uh, changing the game of things that shouldn't be changed, in my opinion. There so. is. In the six eight western, also being a newer round, what have you seen with that? Is there a lot of other manufacturers that are picking it up and getting used to it? Because I don't want to, you know, don't want to say that's a fad round. I hope it sticks around, but it's like, yeah, I hope it does too. Um, and, and no, I haven't. I haven't seen any other six eight um, recent coming outs or builds, if you will. So yep. I don't know, but Winchester's a large pioneered company, you know, if they're going to produce it, it'll, it'll be around for a while. I would think that's kind of where I'm at with it since it's, a, you know, Winchester, I don't even know when they came around fucking 1800s. Yeah. So 1880 something. I yeah. think. Yeah. So they've been around, they've been around the block for a few, for a while. And right. that's kind of where I get interested in the six, eight Western. Cause in my opinion, a company like Winchester and they're, they're with, they partnered up with Browning to make the six, eight too, didn't they? They do. Yes. And that is a jointly owned company. Yep. That's what I thought. Yep. So for those companies to come around and obviously Browning's been around forever too, but for those two companies to come together and say, we want to make this round. And then in my opinion, it's like, yeah, it's probably going to stick around for a while. Cause those are two very big, well, well renowned world renowned manufacturers. Yeah, so. for sure. And you know, I, it's hard to get somebody to buy a rifle and a new round, in my opinion, unless they're a gun connoisseur that's like, oh, I want the newest and latest and greatest. It's hard to get, you know, somebody who's a tried and true person to buy something and use it um, until you see the proof. But you can't see the proof until you use it and buy it. So it's, you know, for me, I was blessed to be able to work for breweries and get to use it and try it out and, I'm about to build one for myself. So (laughs) if anyone's listening out there that's thinking about it, you're not going to get let down and check out a ballistics charts because man, is it, it's impressive. Yeah, it is. Honestly, a gun I really want and I've been looking at it. So I would love to have a a Winchester model 70 and six, eight. That'd be pretty sweet. Yeah. Cause yeah, that would be awesome. The model 70, if I'm not mistaken, they went back to the control round feed action too. Yep. Yep. And man, that's hard to beat too, just for reliability yeah, we have purposes. A, but it was funny when I when I first uh, started working here, we had all the XPRs to side in and get ready for seasons, and uh, I love them. They're great guns. But there was always a a Model seventy black on stainless sitting in the back of Mark's safe, and I was like, you know, what is that? Can we shoot that? He was like, you want to shoot it? And I was like. Heck yeah, I do. And it's in 243 as well. And that thing is a flat shooter. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, they're, those uh, are I actually shot my I shot my buck in Missouri with it this year. So. Oh, did you? Yeah, Model 70 and 243. Yep. Hammered him. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, those those Model 70s are hard to beat. I mean, especially if you really want to spend the money and get, like, the pre-1964 models, which are arguably, like – the one of the best rifles ever manufactured um it's like those pre-64 models are like that's like the, the rifleman's rifle right there yeah and it's nice yep. to see that winchester went back because they had like a little weird period where they were getting i don't know if 
I don't know if they went back, went to push feed on the model seventies or what happened, but there's a kind of a weird period with the, with Winchester. And it seems like they're really trying to just get back and be like, Hey, this, this worked. Well, let's go back to what worked the best and stick with it and come out with new shit and leave what's leave what's working and start making different instead of, instead of making what is working different, just make new stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's not broke. Don't fix it, man. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, run us what, through, uh, I'm gonna say run us through your coyote rig. You, you were giggling about that earlier. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, I kind of got into the thermal game two years ago, and um, it's not a cheap game to get into. Um, for anyone out there that's looking to get into it, you know, do your due diligence, read reviews, and and uh, you know when you what I always say is spend once cry once for the thermal game you know don't buy something that's a thousand bucks and then you're like well this thing sucks you know (laughs) yeah right um you know spend spend some decent money get in the middle of the road and and uh i've I've been blessed to know some guys that do a lot of coyote hunting down in southern illinois where i grew up and they got in the thermal game a long time ago and uh they always told me don't shoot a 223 just because you know if you ever hunt tournaments or you just want to anchor coyotes you're going to spend a lot of time tracking them if you shoot 223 Hmm. and so i was like well okay so when i started getting in the thermal game i was like i got to build a rifle and so i went with a 243 um for caliber i got a gun tech receiver and my lower is arrow and some just some miscellaneous, I think rubber city armory bolt carrier group. I've got a Palmetto state armory custom drop in one piece trigger. I highly recommend that it's super light, super crisp and a budget friendly trigger. Um, and then my barrel, I took a gamble this year on a black Friday deal on a bear Creek arsenal, 22 inch stainless 243 barrel. And um, they got some bad rap and some bad reviews, but for the money and at 200 yards, I'm shooting inch groups, inch and a half. So I, mm-hmm. I'm happy with it, but I, I've looked in those. I mean, they're pretty fair priced, but yeah. Yeah. The, the black Friday deal for the barrel was like 210 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was a little skeptical, but I was like, well, I'll throw in the vice. I'll throw it on and go shoot it the next day. You know, if, if it doesn't shoot good, I'll go back to what I had on it and I'll send it back in my money back. So and say, but, did, uh, did you, did you shoot out your, you didn't shoot your other barrel out then, did you? No, no, it okay. was an 18 inch. It was an 18 inch stainless barrel as well. Um, but I was, it was one to 10 twist and I was playing with um, 55s and 95 grains and the one to 10 shoots hundred grainers very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't like the 55s and the 95s it does okay with. And uh, so I was like, well, let me try a different twist. And the new barrels one to eight and it shoots the 55s and the 95s very well. So okay, just uh, p- playing with, you know, grains and twists of barrels was, was the reasoning there. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I would, you know, I don't think I have, I spent some money on the, the bolt carrier group, the trigger, but as far as that, I mean, I don't have over a thousand dollars in that gun. <laughs> yeah, no oh, way. That's awesome. So yeah, the, what's on top of it yeah. and 
you know, what I hold in my hand to look around thermalize is, is a lot more money than that. But, um, that's, uh, that's kind of that build. And I'm just, it's kind of one of those things where like, if you get into something, you get into like, get into it really crazy. Yep. Um, that's kind of how I've gotten with the, with the thermal game. So, yeah, I mean, I just went out for that, uh, that last weekend and it was, even though we didn't shoot anything, just looking, just being out there at night and looking through the, the, the thermals and stuff. I mean, yeah. this is insane. Yeah. So, you have to come, you have to come. To, how far you live from me in Osceola? Um, shit. I was actually just down in Osceola, uh, this last deer season. Um, shoot, I don't know, three hours maybe. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, heck, we've figured it out and you come down, we'll, we'll do a, do a couple of sets one night. Oh, absolutely, man. I'm, hundred percent game for that i would i that's one goal of mine i've had for a while is to get out and shoot a coyote but you know just getting into it and doing it myself i'm like man that's kind of like what you're saying it's like looking at it and kind of getting sticker shock it's kind of i'm like "Ah, i don't know maybe i'll just i need to focus on deer hunting a little bit more and then maybe down the line i'll get into get more into coyotes but it doesn't yeah i it makes you a little i uh i grew up down in southern illinois and you know me and handful of my buddies they called us the original red light crew because in illinois you could hunt with artificial lights and so back in the day 16 17 years old when i could finally drive i had a red light spotlight and i had a green light mounted to the top of my scope on my 22250 bolt gun and uh we'd go call coyotes at night because illinois had a night season you could use artificial lights and so I grew up night hunting like that. And, uh, I mean, we killed some coyotes. We weren't near successful as we are now at the thermal game, right. but, uh, we, uh, we failed a lot and cut our teeth on that type of hunting and, you know, learn the wind setups and where to sit and all that stuff. And, and, uh, now we've gotten blessed to make a little money and buy thermals and <laughs> now, uh, now you think you got them all figured out and then you just got to be able to hit them. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. What what do you use for a call? Um, Wade has a lucky duck revolt, which okay. works very, very well. And then, uh, I have a Fox pro. I think it's a scorpion something with the external speaker. Um, it, it works well as also. So, okay. Honestly, it's just kind of time of year for coyotes as far as, you know, this time of year is their breeding season. So you use a lot of vocals, a lot of howls, a lot of coyote fights, pup distress, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, summertime, you're normally all distressed. And so I was honestly the best coyote state to live in as far as I've seen as far as regulations, 24-7, 365. I mean, mm-hmm. I, can go night hunt a, I can go night hunt with thermals in a hay field in the summertime. So oh, yeah, it, 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 it'll be interesting. I've never tried it in the summer and, and I think it, it'll be, uh, very successful, but it's, uh, yeah. you know, like Missouri and Illinois, they all have a season. It runs from like, like Missouri's just opened. Well, yesterday, I believe February 1st opens their night season oh, really? and it runs, yeah, it runs till March 15th, which is, in my opinion is, is odd. And I think they should kind of have it continuously open i mean i understand closing it for deer season and turkey season or stuff like that but um you know why not let guys who have the setups and thermals to just hunt when they 
are able to. So. Right. Yeah, that's one thing, man. Um, up where I'm at, there's actually a, a really good population of coyote hunters. So it, they do a really good job at keeping our coyote populations down up here. Nice. But there's it, there's a lot of dudes out there. You'll see it after. Well, I've, I've encountered them during muzzleloader season a little bit. But honestly, after deer season ends, it's the wild west out here with coyotes it's all it's yep. it's it's crazy but it's it's fun like it's cool to see because i'm like hell yeah boys get in there you know but yeah kill them but yeah are they, are they running them with dogs are they calling them or what are they oh a little bit of everything i know yeah. i have a, a guy i work with he he's he runs them with dogs sometimes um but honestly a lot of times yeah i think he runs dogs quite a bit actually because he was talking the way they kind of do is they almost set it up like a deer drive. Well, they'll have mm. guys set up like, you know, just off the roads and the fields kind of set up shooting about them. They'll send another guy in with the dogs through a, through the Creek bottom or whatnot and just let the dog loose and kind of watch them. And then when they start getting crazy and they run a coyote in front of the hunters and they just let her eat. So <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, but uh, keep, your, keep, keep your head down. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I'd like to think that they do it pretty safe, but I don't know because I've never been out with him. But he's—I mean, he's in his 60s, so I'd assume he's doing it. He's been doing it forever, so he knows what he's doing. But yeah, for sure. There's also a, a good amount of night hunters that go out at night and just call and let her eat. Yep. And honestly, I'll be like, I know a lot of guys here that just kind of drive around. And this time of year, you'll kind of see in a lot of places you, you might see a coyote just out in the field running around just because like, I'm assuming because like you said, it's their breeding season. Yeah. So they might be a little more active during the daytime right now. And a lot of guys just driving the, some, I've seen a lot of guys just drive the roads, wait until they see it. If they see a coyote in the tree line or something like that, they'll just jump out and rub the fence line and hammer them. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, but yeah, no, I, I'd love to get into it. I'm like I said, I'm a little bit scared to get into it because I, I just know I'm going to, really enjoy it so <laughs> yeah and then once you got the bug then you're like saving money to get what you want you know it's a, yep. and that sky's the limit man with thermal game currently they just came out with a they just came out with a 1280 sensor you know i'm running 384 stuff which is like your baseline then you got 640 sensors which is like you know getting into really nice stuff and they just came out with a 1280 sensor thermal which is like eighteen thousand dollars but um, Jeez. yeah but you gotta you have to w go watch some footage through the video that they filmed through it it's uh it's amazing man it's yeah. crazy well uh kurt and the working class guys they just they just had the uh drone deer recovery guy on there yeah and he was talking about that and he's like yeah my drone cost i don't know like 18 grand and he's like the thermal that is on it is another 20 grand i'm like holy shit but the yeah, videos that guy crazy. puts out is insane. Like, is insanely clear. Yes. So I'm assuming yeah. it's probably similar to that, but on a gun. Correct. Yeah. That'd be and, then, I mean, some of the things you can see, like, one of the videos I watched, they had a coyote come across, like, a pond dam, and you can see, like, the rippling in the water and the way the wind's blowing the ripples of the water and, like, which is just insanity. 
did, for a thermal. That's crazy. Did you get thermal? Did you get issued thermals when you're in the army? Yeah, I had one on my 50 cal. Okay. Mm-hmm. Dude, the thermals that we got issued, I, you know, we messed around with them. Like, okay, yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty nice. But seeing some of the like the pulsars and stuff that they're that some of these guys have on their coyote guns, I'm like, this is insane. This is like way yeah. better than what the army gave me. Yeah, I'm trying <laughs> to think of the name, the name that they had for the thermal we used. I can't remember what I had. I know it was big and gray and heavy. Yep. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. That's it. Yep. But I don't, I don't, I do not remember who made it. I know on all I of our, either. on all of our sniper, almost all of our sniper rifles, they all had loopholes. I remember that. Really? Yep. Yep. But nice. I don't remember what the hell we had on our damn thermals. Yeah. I don't either. Yeah. That's the, that'll be the next, uh, build or rabbit hole I go down. I want to build a custom carbon frame chassis bolt gun and then top it with a like a VX6 Liverpool with dials and then have a clip-on thermal that clips on to the front so you can run your daytime you can run your daytime scope just like normal turrets and everything and then you're looking through a clip-on frontal thermal and uh, you can take it out night hunting. <laughs> Dude, that is something that I would I would want because that's yeah. that's the one thing where I'm I, I'm thinking about getting into coyotes. And I'm like, okay, so then I you know buy a dedicated rifle for coyote, and then I buy a dedicated thermal for coyote, and it's like it's all dedicated to that one task. Yeah, it would be pretty so, awesome to have you know to be able to run your daytime optics and slap on a thermal and do that. exactly yep all you got to do is you know take your clip on off your picatinny rail and off the front of your scope and then you would be running your daytime gun Mm -hmm. so it's something i've uh i was actually researching carbon chassis last night figuring out how much money i gotta save so (laughs) yeah right (laughs) yeah what are you gonna but uh what are you gonna run for a caliber for that Oh, it'll probably be two forty three. Two forty three. I won't. Yeah, I thought about two. Yeah, the thing of it is, I ran when I first got my thermal scope. I've got a match grade built three hundred eight AR frame, and I ran it on that because everybody was like, "Ah, two twenty three is not enough." And I was like, "Well, three hundred eight certainly is." (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, so so I ran it on that gun, and every coyote I shot at, you know, if I hit it, was dead in its tracks. You know, 308's a, a hammer, um, oh, yeah. but it's also it's also hammering you recoil-wise, and so it's bumping me out of my thermal. So say mm-hmm. I call in two coyotes or three coyotes, and I stonewall the first one. Well, then you're bumped out of your thermal. you got to get your sight picture back. you got to re-engage the next coyote, and you're all kinds of, you know, just messed up from the recoil. Um, you know, trying to get back in the scope and get back on the running coyote. Yep. So that's when my buddies from down south told me, they were like, you need to switch to an in-between caliber. And they they all run 243s as well. And uh, some run 6.5s. But you get that, you know, stonewall energy. You need to knock them dead where they stand, but you're not getting the recoil. 
So right. that's kind of why I've stuck with the 243 in an AR frame. In a bolt gun, I I almost I almost I was debating this last night. I was like, what if I built what if I built that carbon chassis in a six eight gun or a two seventy, just regular two seventy wind, you know, that way I had a pretty substantial daytime gun but also could take it night hunting so mm-hmm. you know i i don't know <laughs> yeah it's it's fun to play around with but have you did you run your 308 suppressed no i didn't we i didn't have suppressors at the time okay. uh be it'd be interesting to see what that's like but yeah i wonder how much, i have a, i wonder how much recoil that would knock down i guess if you had your 308 suppressed yeah for sure i, I think it would drastically help the hard part is convincing myself to take everything off my 243 that's completely dialed in <laughs> with the suppressor on it and say let's go try this yeah, <laughs> right. but it is a very good uh point to that i i think i could have handled it suppress i mean i shot i don't know 12 coyotes i think last year with that gun um it's not that i couldn't handle the recoil it was just the you know the factor of trying to re-engage another coyote while getting right you know smashed out of your scope and yeah losing the sight picture yeah i mean you're you're not a small statured man you know you're so it's like you can <laughs> you can handle the recoil of a 308 but right it's a, it's the follow-up shots that you're yeah it's the, it was it was the follow-up and the concept of like man this is this is not um the best option so. Right, and once that three always starts barking, it's like everything around you knows what's going on. So, oh, everything is aware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but oh, yeah, man. the two forty three has been great. I mean, I got my gas adjust really, really good, and honestly, the co- I've shot a few cods with it already this year, and man, it's perfect. You touch it off, and you don't even you don't even seem to come out of your eye scope on your thermal. So, oh, I bet. I was going to say, that's, that is honestly one tried and true round that I've never shot. I've never shot a 243. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've pretty much wow. shot everything else. That's, you know, all your, I got, you know, two, I've shot a 270. I've shot your 30 out six. I've shot a 300 win mag. I've shot all the other, I shot a seven out, seven out eight. You know, I shot all these other, all these other, you know, tried and true, been around for ages rounds, yep. but I've never, I've never shot a 243. Yeah, I mean. That was, uh, I grew up hunting in Missouri, um, deer hunting with a 243. That was the go-to for me. And when I got into coyote hunting at the first, it was a 22250, which you cannot knock that. It's probably the no. best varmint round that exists on the planet Earth, if you had to ask me. But it's awesome. Um, yeah. And, and faster than lightning. It's so but, fast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, as far as parts availability and um, to build an AR frame in 22250, there are certainly companies out there that do it, and you can, no problem, especially nowadays with new calibers and new things getting introduced to the AR frame. But back when I, you know, two years ago, it wasn't a very popular thing. So No. I just, um, one of the guys that we went out with last weekend, he had a 22250 in, in the AR platform. Nice. Yeah. Did he did he build it or was it a factory gun? You know, I didn't ask him. Uh, Because there is, 
there is two or three companies that I know off hand that are building them and one of them's very top of the line and then uh the other two are they're okay yeah <laughs> they're okay so, um, yeah. if i had to venture to guess he probably bought it gotcha. but i also don't know this guy very i don't yeah I, that was my first time meeting him so he's buddies with the buddy that i went with nice but, yeah but yeah no i i think i've heard from a lot of guys like 22 250 is like yeah, I mean that's been around forever too. The, the old oh, guy, yeah. the old guy I was telling you about that um, runs dogs. He he runs a two twenty two two fifty, and yep. he actually he does most of his. He doesn't do night hunting. He does daytime hunting with like well with dogs and whatnot. But uh, man, I can't remember what rifle he has on there. But he just bought a a loop old VX. I think he bought a VX three HD for that because nice. he had. An old loophole. I got an old loophole. Uh, what was the shoot? I can't even remember what the old ones were called. Like the three, the ah, wasn't the VX three HD. Is the whatever, whatever it was. It was old as hell. It's probably yeah. I think he got it when he was a, when he was a kid. That's how old it yeah. was. So he decided to upgrade it, his optic and he got a new loophole three HD. Yeah, it's. It's crazy, like across the Midwest, if you talk to an, an older gentleman, older rancher, older just farmhand, you know, type people, you know, their coyote rifle that they shot was a twenty two two fifty. Yep. I bought mine at a farm auction that had guns. Um, my stepdad, you know, bought it for me. But uh, that's that's what that's where I got mine was at a farm auction. It was like three hundred bucks, an old old Remington uh, seven. Seven something had a dropout box magazine, wood gun, bolt. It was rough, but Hell yeah. um, that's that's why I bought it. I was like, well, if it shoots good, then the barrel's not shot out. I said, that's what I need. I said, I'm gonna throw a scope on it, throw my light setup on it, and I'm gonna beat it up some more. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but I'm gonna kill a lot of cops with it. <laughs> that's right, man. How many rounds did you have to put down range to shoot out shoot out a twenty two two fifty barrel? I wonder. I don't know. I don't know. It's kind of like with like two, two, three, or five, 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 six. You'll hear about people shooting out their barrels on those guns, but that's because they're doing a lot of the tactical shooting stuff, like just going out and like shooting a thousand rounds at the range with doing what they're doing, like speed shooting, you know, shooting steel and right. whatnot. It's like a thousand rounds on the range is not is just a normal normal day. So sure. they shoot. You're talking like tens of thousands of rounds through through, through those barrels, but man, that'd be a lot of coyotes. You have to shoot a lot of coyotes to shoot out a twenty two two fifty barrel. I feel like, yeah, more than what I'm shooting. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh yeah, but they're uh, they're finicky for sure, man. They uh, right time of year and right weather makes a huge difference, in my opinion. You know, windy versus not windy and cloudy, clear skies. And honestly, the the uh, really really cold days, you know, like single digits. I I think they lay up just like everything does, and I I've just not had good success. But you get that like first warm up in a in a decent like six eight ten mile an hour south wind and a clear sky. Look out! No kidding. Yeah, so- yeah, like a like 25 30 degrees where you know you get a little bit of warm up and uh last year i killed 
I think I killed five or six in one night last year by myself um, wow. on a on a weather front like that. So. Really? It's, uh, that, that's one thing I wanted to ask because when we went out last weekend, it was storming. Like it was like it was like half a blizzard. Yeah. And I was no. talking. To, I was talking to the guys. I was like, we weren't seeing shit, and we were out there doing our thing. And I asked them, like, man, do the, in they were kind of complaining about the weather. And I was like, is this like not a good day to be coyote hunting at all? He's like, no, we never go out in this weather. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. The coyotes just, they're, they den up and they just lay, they hang out until the storm passes. Cause they don't like, he was saying that they don't like precipitation, whether it's rain or snow very much. And they definitely don't like it when it's super windy. Yeah. So, uh, we, huh. Wade and I hunted, uh, two nights ago in Iowa and uh it was very cold like 12 13 degrees the wind was normal like 6 8 the wind was okay and also something i noticed the moon was super super bright and uh like we had to be aware of where we set up for backdrop not get the back you know so they didn't silhouette us but um they and we did six sets i think they answered us very very well very vocal um but they would not come out of cover like they just stayed where they were so you know makes sense to what your buddy was saying um that they just hang tight to a certain area Mm -hmm. because i had coyotes answer us through the sit like they howled at the beginning of the sit and they were within 500 yards of us um and you know later through the sit different sounds different um scenarios playing they answer again and they're in the exact same spot so really Man, yeah i think it finicky i think it takes uh thinks it takes a certain weather i mean just like deer hunting hunting everything you know right. the, the weather's not good they're they're not moving and and i mm-hmm. think coyotes are are no different so oh yeah for sure i mean and that's the thing too um the difference between like deer hunting and coyote hunting or wolf hunting or any predator hunting, I just feel like the predators there's they're on a different level. Like they're just different. Like the like the prey type animals like deer and elk and everything else, like they they're surrounded by feed, I guess, if you want to say that. Like they they go out to a certain feeding spot and they feed around, right? But like predators, they're they're running on a totally different schedule, you know, Yeah, they're, they're predators. Like they, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I've never, I haven't done a whole lot of predator hunting in my life, so I don't really know, but I just feel like they're just, they're working a completely different schedule than, <laughs> than like a prey type animal. Definitely. And they're man. wily and they're constantly on the hunt. So it's like, they're constantly, they have to hunt to eat, you know, obviously being predators, but it's like, I don't know. They, they seem like when, I don't know, almost like maybe do you think that they kind of know, like not necessarily know, but like, I don't know, are they harder to get coming in or do you think they're a little more apt? I guess it all depends, but what do you think on that? Like, I mean, as far as like day and night hunting, night hunting, I would take nine times out of 10 over day hunting. Um, I, like I said, I grew up, doing quite a bit of coyote hunting when I was younger and I hunted a lot of day sets and man, it's just rough, yeah. rough to call a coyote in, in the daylight. Um, you, I mean, I've done it and killed them and, yeah. but, uh, the night hunting game definitely increases your odds. 
um, the biggest thing for me is like a coyote at night is 100% reliant on his nose. So mm-hmm. like your setups, your setups are very well thought out. Like I don't get very far off roadways so that I can blow my wind, you know, to the road or to something that's, they're not going to go around to get me wind wise. Mm-hmm. And you always have to think about how far you're going to put your call out as well. Because if the wind is decent enough, you put your call out farther so that the coyote tries to downwind the call and be in between you and your caller. If yep. the wind is not, you know, and your sound is farther away from you getting out farther, you know, in a stronger wind, if your call's not, or if the wind is not howling, you know, you know, a lot of wind speed, I put that call closer to me and then just be cognizant of my downwind side so that the coyote can hear the sound and come closer to it because the wind's not messing with him as much. And I can see my downwind side, hopefully, because nine times out of 10, you call a coyote, you might see him, but they're headed for your downwind side. Yep. It, what's funny is uh, last weekend we did see one coyote, and that's exactly what happened. Like we had our wind blowing uh, kind of across this field that we were hunting, but there's a spot, a property that we were set up on that had another chunk of woods. And when we set up our calls, um, notice there's a coyote on that neighboring property where our wind was blowing. He popped his head up, and they just turned around and ran off. And it's like, yep. And that's what, Matt, that's what Matt was saying. He's like, he's like, oh, he's like, oh, there's one over there. So we're watching. He's like, oh, and he's gone. He's like, obviously the wind is blowing that way. He's like, I didn't think he'd make it too far, but you never know, I guess. <laughs> yeah, for sure. They uh, they get that scent and they're uh, they're gone. Yep. So with uh, coyotes during the daytime, do you think they're more reliant on their eyesight than their smell? Uh, they definitely don't. Um. They definitely do rely on it more, I think, but they, they're they they're a tried and true animal to their nose. Yep. Um, I've called a lot of coyotes in, in the day that come closer to the caller before they try to downwind it because they can see it. And, like, you might have a decoy, you know, a twirly bird decoy or something out there. Oh, sure. And so it catch, catches their eye. And so they give up a little bit more, um, you know, they're not as weary. But yep. uh, they definitely they definitely don't stray far from that nose. Yeah, almost like the the decoy during the daytime is giving them a false sense of confidence. Almost. Yep. Correct. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah. That's the other other thing too that kind of always freaked me out about. Not freaked me out, like scared me, but like it's just like predators, like coyotes and wolves and stuff. Like they have really good eyesight too. Like deer don't have the best eyesight, but they like coyotes. They have really good eyesight. Yeah. So. So when you're, I do have one more question about coyotes before we get off of it. But when you're out there in, at nighttime, are you wearing like camo and shit, or does it really matter? No. Okay, I didn't think no. so. I That's I just have question. like. <laughs> yeah. No. No problem. I have just like regular brown Carhartt bibs and, um, like a black or brown hoodie i normally wear okay yeah so, so I, I didn't figure just so. darker colors you know I don't, I don't need you out there in your construction vest but uh right? <laughs> yeah <you know. laughs> but it, just some darker colors you'll be okay yep yep 
Um, I, I know we're getting, getting, actually we're getting up there on time now, but I, I want to be respectful of your time too. But, uh, I did want to touch on one last thing. So the late January, Iowa antlerless, antlerless season is with rifles for the counties that have, um, antlerless tags left over. There's a, I've seen a lot of contention on that, but it's like, how do you feel about that? Is that when you do most of your doe management is during the late season in Iowa specifically? Yes. We shoot all our does late. You shoot yep. all your does late? Yep. We shoot them all late. And, okay. uh, we shot 20, uh, during that, uh, rifle season. Wade was shooting the 270 and I was shooting six, eight. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I, I think that's kind of a, landowner discretion i mean if you want to shoot your does early by all means shoot them with a bow or you know during an earlier gun season for us you know you know give it to you truthfully we're trying to kill as many deer as possible so when we shoot that doe that's you know unfortunately bred and has a fawn or two in her then you know we're doing the most good that we want to do on the farm. Yeah. Um, that might sound harsh to some people, but that that's just nature, you know, like regardless if we shoot them with a bow or later in the season with a gun, we've got to kill them. Right. And that's so, kind of, that's kind of what I was thinking. It's like, yeah, it might sound harsh, but it's that, it's that just like that old saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta crack a few eggs in order to make an omelet kind of deal. But, uh, yep, it's, exactly. it's like during the, so, I've heard, I've heard this kind of, this topic come up a couple different times in conversation with like other bow hunters and stuff too, where they're like, yeah, I really don't like to shoot does during the late season because if they're already bred, then that's a potential, whatever, you know, my next potential shooter buck or whatever you want to call it. But isn't it the same thing as shooting them early as if shooting them late? I guess they're already bred, but shoot them early you're just, you're just preventing them from being bred so you're still preventing right. that doe from carrying a fawn right that's uh that is correct yeah. i i agree with you on that so yeah because i like i i love doing late season doe management like i don't ma- manage my own property but i guess when i go out during like late muzzleloader if i don't if i say i don't know if i don't have a buck tag for late muzzleloader i'll grab a, a leftover antlerless tag and that's my that's when I really like to go out and fill the freezer, I guess, for myself. Because yep. it's just like I don't know, it's just it's fun getting out there. And I, I, if there's tags available, then I trust the DNR and the biologists. If they have tags available, then they, you know, they went out and they've done the research and they know how many deer need to be taken out. So I'm gonna do my part as hunter because, in my opinion, if you're a hunter and you do not do your part. Say, you know, say you just don't believe in it. You don't believe in late season doe killing. Then the, the state is going to lessen the population eventually anyways, whether that's through hunters and we go out there and do our part or they call in, you know, government sharpshooters to take them out if they get overpopulated anyways. Right. So me personally, it's like, I'd rather go do my part as a hunter, get the meat, take it home, eat it throughout the year. And also, I get to pick and choose what animals get shot, I guess. But uh, another point of contention with the late January um, antlerless season is a lot of guys talk about and they say, you know, like, how do you know it's not a shed buck? 
Like, have you ran into that problem where you're, you're shooting, you've shot a shed buck and you're like, oh shit, shouldn't have done that. But like, um, I, no, we always are very, you know, aware and uh, tell those people to put some Leopold glass on their guns. Yep. Um, they might, <laughs> they might see those pedicles. No, um, but uh, no, we always make sure to double check and, and yep. look. And honestly, the biggest thing I say is, you know, don't, put yourself in a position where you don't feel comfortable. Like Wade and I aren't shooting these deer at 300 yards away. You know, like we're, we're killing these does all within 150 normally. So, you know, take your time, whether you use your binoculars or your rifle scope, but take a look at it, look at its body size, look at it, Mm -hmm. you know, how it's acting. You know, you can tell when doe groups come out and, you know, they act, a different way than when a buck walks out. So, um, no, I've, uh, mistakenly shot a, a button buck or two here and there, yeah. but, uh, not a, not a shed buck. Yep. That's kind of where I was at too. Um, I've had that same question asked about me. It's like when you go out there late season, especially the late rifle season in Iowa, they're like, well, how do you know you're not shooting a shed buck? I'm like, well, you can tell the difference between a buck and a doe, whether the buck has antlers or not. Right. I, I can, I haven't been hunting my entire life. You know, I took a break or whatever, but you know, it's like, I can tell the difference. And also, like you said, I have a loophole scope of my gun. So if I, if I pull up and I'm looking and I also have a loophole bino. So when I pull up and look at a deer, it's like, I am looking at its head to make sure it doesn't have, you know, yeah. pedicles. So yeah. it's like, you can, if you're not shooting out past, you know, 500 yards, 600 yards, whatever, and you, you can, you can see if it had, if it had antlers at one point in time, because I've seen, yeah, I've, for sure. I've glassed up plenty of shed bucks and been like, Oh, that's a shed buck. Cool. Mm-hmm. Don't shoot him. You know? Yeah, right. So, <laughs> but no, I, I don't know. I, I like it. I think it's a cool deal. And I ended up, I, I shot one, one doe during the late season with my rifle and that was pretty fun, but. Heck but yeah, yeah, man. But yeah, man, I, I don't want to hold you up anymore. We've been going for almost two hours now. So I don't want to steal you from your family all night here. So, uh, heck yeah, buddy. Yeah, we'll, I, uh, we'll, uh, do it again sometime yeah. and cover some different topics. Absolutely. I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a blast. I've been looking forward to this podcast for, uh, for a while now since we started talking. So I'm glad you, I'm glad heck you yeah. got to come on, man. This has been awesome. But, uh, if, did you want to like plug anything at the end here? Obviously we talked about jury outdoors for quite a while, so no, I, I'm good, man. Everyone be safe, and if you're still hunting, if you're predator hunting, hunt hard. Get after him. That's right. I like that. <laughs> All right, man. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Have a good one. that has the stories to back it a life to be proud of it's a winchester life yeah baby six eight western oh, i'll be over there baby right there tune in every tuesday at 7 p.m eastern on waypoint tv